It's the Planet LP Podcast with me, Ted Asfragadu. Welcome to episode 57, where we're going to kind of shun the retrospective theme I've been running with for more than a few episodes. And since July ended up being a bye month for the Pop Dose New Music Review with Keith Creighton, I think the return of Keith Creighton to the pod will provide plenty of new tunes to keep you busy for the rest of the summer. But before we get to Keith, a quick rundown on our social media channels, Instagram and Twitter. We're at the Planet LP, Facebook Planet LP. And if you'd like to connect with me via email, if you're an artist or a band or an author who's written a book about a band or music in general, and you'd like to be on the program, email me at ted at planetlp.com. Okay, time to take the shrink wrap off some new music selections right now. Keith Creighton, welcome back to the pod. Howdy, howdy. Good to be back. Good to be back in the pod. Missed you last month. Yeah. (laughs) I'll bet you were in Florida, swampy Florida. Oh my God. No offense to the people in Florida, but it was hot. Brutal, brutal. And that's where you took your vacation. So now that you're back from your break, you've opened up two Samsonite suitcases of music, it seems. So <laughs> before, much music. It's it, there really is. There really is. But before we get started, we have to talk about a couple of music legends who went to the great gig in the sky. Oh, the first being Olivia Newton-John, who died from cancer on August 8th, 2022, and Lamont Dozier, who died at 81. Now, Lamont penned a bunch of classic pop and soul songs. Uh, he died on August 9th, but let's start with your thoughts on Olivia Newton-John's career. I think for a lot of people, I'm Gen X. Mm-hmm. Olivia was really was our first pop star crush. I think even before Farrah Fawcett, You know, it was Olivia Newton-John, and I got into her in that denim jacket country phase of hers. You know, I would see the MCA albums when I was at the record store, and she just looked so dreamy and sweet. And I wasn't really that into country music, but, you know, it kind of was like a little bit light pop, very much in the AM radio kind of range of those we call it yacht rock now. It was just that kind of like mellow light rock. Yeah, I I think the format was officially called MOR, Middle of the Road. That's the type of music it was, but it did have kind of a twang to it. You were mentioning there was a little country-ish sound yeah. to it, but yeah. And the funny thing about Olivia was, and this is just, you know, once again, I was a little kid in rural mm-hmm. Ohio, didn't have access to the internet or magazines. Kid you not, when I bought my first Olivia Newton-John cassette, I was terrified that her big brother Elton was going to find <laughs> out about it and beat me up. <laughs> Because Elton John said the B word on the radio and between Crocodile Rock, Saturday night's all right for fighting. You know, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's a bully. Yeah, the bitch is back, right? Yeah, oh my God. Well, that's Although the thing he's is stone cold sober, right? It's a matter yeah. of fact, yeah. But it was but, so one of those things where I was so like, oh my gosh, if he found out that I had a crush on his little sister, <laughs> he would come after me. So little did I know. Yeah. So her music really kind of changed once she got towards the end of the seventies and into the eighties, and definitely because of Greece, which which was weird because it's a throwback to the fifties, and that was the catalyst that kind of pushed her into late 70s, early 80s with a different sound. So you liked her early stuff. Did you like the later stuff like Xanadu and Totally Hot and Physical and, and into the 80s? Or were you, yeah. were you diehard 70s 
Now, uh, surprisingly, I am not a Grease fan. I mean, Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. those are good. It's it's just a little bit too kitschy for me. But Xanadu, oddly enough, one of the kitschiest movies ever, (laughs) has probably one of the best soundtracks of all time between her, Gene Kelly, um, Cliff Richard, and ELO. ELO, yeah. It's a track for track, perfect record. I am still obsessed with it all these years later. Did you like the movie? Because I've I've tried to watch that movie many times and I just turn it off because I'm just like, what is the point? This guy, the guy who plays opposite her, he looks like Andy Gibb in a way. And I'm just, I don't know what the plot is. The songs aren't really used to great effect. And I'm just like, I'm... Yeah, I'm not feeling Yeah, we used to play it when I worked at Blockbuster Video. Uh-huh. We would play that and Teen Steam by Alyssa Milano on all the monitors, you know, because we got so really? sick of like the preview reels that they would have us play that we would just shove stuff in <laughs> and we would have it on all the time, but yet I never really paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's some kind of, isn't she like an angel or something in the movie? I, I guess. You could say whatever you want. I go, uh-huh. Yeah, okay, that's exactly what yeah. I think it is. <laughs> I think it had that otherworldly kind of thing in it. And so it reminded me later on of Graffiti Bridge, the mm-hmm. Prince movie that was also equally horrible. Oh my and God. So, like but, shot on VHS. But it's one of those things where now here's the one song that I noticed nobody is bringing up in the tributes to Living in a John. And that's Soul Kiss. Do you remember Soul Kiss? Soul Kiss. I don't. When did that come out? It was after Physical, so I don't know if it was on the next album, but it was basically, for its time, very risque. It was a a ode to oral sex. Oh. And so when we figured that out, we were like, Olivia Newton, John. (laughs) My, my, my. So I'm going to have to put that one back on because remember, like, this is way before I Want Your Sex by George Michael, which literally ruffled all the feathers. You know, wow. and remember, yeah. like, you know, it was like also, what was it, Sex I'm a by Berlin? You know, like these were like radical songs back then. And nowadays so, would be so passe, you know, but yeah, huh. Olivia, Soul Kiss, check that one out. I don't recognize it just from the title. I might recognize it from just hearing it, but I just quickly looked it up. It came out in 1985 oh, okay. uh, from there the album go. of the same name. Yeah, so yeah, Olivia had a little bit of edge to her, but it's just sad that so many years of her life were in the cancer struggle. But look at mm-hmm. all the awareness she brought to the charity and the cause and changed the lives of millions through her advocacy. So, you know, because she was diagnosed in the 90s, so she got 30 more years of life. And it's just sad to see someone like that just go so young. So I'm glad there's a new Olivia Newton-John revival happening. Like you cannot find her CD anywhere on the stores. I tried a, ordering a greatest hits from Amazon. Yeah, good luck, canceled right? canceled it. Yeah. Oh, so they, wow. it was $7. I, they, I ordered it. And then three days later, they canceled it. And now it's $65. Oh, my God. Like, oh. <laughs> Highway robbery. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So I was never a huge fan of Olivia Newton-John's music. I listened to the pop songs on the radio and appreciated her voice for her range and her clarity of, of sound. She just had a, a very, you know, there's no doubting she had an amazing voice. Yeah. Um, but my wife, Julie, huge fan of the 1970s. And I was trying to get her to be on the podcast to talk about her love of Olivia Newton-John's music and she wouldn't do it. I said, well, how about if I just record you on my iPhone and you know, I could just play back something. She says, absolutely not. 
I said, can you just give me something here? Just anything. Let's talk about like the first time you heard her music. Like, what was it that you liked? What albums were the ones that you really connected to? And she said it was two of them. It was from 1975 and 1976. Have You Never Been Mellow and Come On Over. She said that she and her friend, Jennifer, who was kind of a quasi-cousin, not by blood, but just by the fact that they were they were so close. She would go over to Jennifer's house often after school, about a mile walk, and they would put on these two records and listen to them over and over and over again. Sometimes they'd try to tape them and somebody would be walking by in the room or somebody would cough or sneeze, so they'd have to start over. And I said, so tell me about what was the first song that you ever heard by Olivia Newton-John. And she says, you know, it was, you know, have you never been mellow? And she liked, um, she liked everything off of come on over, which I looked at the track listing and I started reading it to her. And I said, so Jolene, which is a Dolly Parton song. She says, that's the first time I ever heard that song. I didn't know Dolly Parton wrote it. I never heard the Dolly Parton version until maybe, maybe a decade later, but there was a group called strawberry switchblade in the eighties that had done a cover of Jolene. Yeah. So that, And Olivia Newton-John's version were the two versions that she knew. Of course, she liked the song Come On Over. And then I started just going down. I said, don't throw it all all away. She goes, yeah. Who are you now? Yep. Smile for me. Absolutely. (laughs) Small talk Mm -hmm. and pride. Mm Mm-hmm. Wrap me in your arms. The Long and Winding Road, which, you know, the Beatles cover. And she Mm -hmm. says, yeah, all of that stuff. Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, Green Sleeves. Yeah, I said, she said, yeah, all those songs. I just absolutely love them. We just listened to them over and over. And she said, Come On Over was written by um, the Gibb brothers. I said, really? So then I look it up. Yep. Barry Gibb and Robin Gibb wrote that one. So those are her memories of Olivia Newton-John. And I think when you get into an artist where you play either one album or a couple albums over and over and over again, and then you flash forward decades later, you're in your 40s and 50s, and you're playing those records, it really does take you back. Beach Boys does that for me. Because when I was about eight or nine, I was really into the Beach Boys and, and the Beatles, but mostly the Beach Boys. For some reason, I had the... I had a greatest hits album. My best friend had a a different greatest hits album and we would just listen to those songs over and over and over again. So now when I hear those songs, it kind of takes me back to that time. So there's that sort of nostalgia sledgehammer moment that just really bonks you over the head and takes you back. But those are her reflections of Olivia Newton-John and I Mm -hmm. sort of did a footnote with uh, the Beach Boys for myself. uh, Sadly, I was not so lucky because I bought on cassette back then Mm -hmm. and MCA cassettes back in the day were not the best made. And so they blew up on me after several subsequent plays or got screechy. Yeah. Do you ever, do you remember that? Like in the, there was always the death knell. You're listening to a cassette, you're having a great day. And all of a sudden it starts screeching and you realize (laughs) it's over. Yeah. You know, God has taken my album away from me. And so. RIP cassette. Yeah. I don't have outside of Xanadu, anything on CD. I was lucky enough to get before the Iron Curtain came down on Amazon, the physical two CD reissue from Cherry Red is coming tomorrow. And so I'm going to, you know, run to my mailbox when that arrives. Mm -hmm. So I'm eager to see like, you know, all the B sides, all that, because I had physical on cassette too. And so I'm eager to kind of re-experience it now in the modern time. Yeah. And for me, the songs that I kind of liked The one I really liked off of Totally Hot was the single, Put a Little More Love. I liked the way she sang that song because she varied the chorus every time. She sang maybe one or two parts of the lyric up, 
or sometimes she she brought it down and sometimes she brought it way up there or she kind of varied it in a, in a way. A lot of songs off of Xanadu I thought were very good. Uh, even Twist of Fate, that 80s movie from 83 where she re- reunited with John Travolta. It, it was very 80s in terms of its production style. It sounded, you know, very much out of that out of that era, but I thought it was a pretty good song. I mean, it's not something I ran out and bought or anything, but if it came on on MTV or whatever, I wouldn't turn it off. I would just listen to it. So, you know, like I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't her music didn't speak to me in a very deep way, but I, I certainly appreciated her, her ability to sing and her ability to, to perform and, and to be, you know, an actor, singer, and uh, sometimes do some comedy in a way. There's Olivia Newton-John. I was going to basically say once the Iron Curtain raises, usually what, like about a year later, then their, their albums will be readily available again. So yeah, I'll pick up some more ONJ discs when, um, once the profiteers have come and gone. Right, right. And Lamont Dozier, 81. He died on August 9th. He penned a bunch of classic pop and soul songs. Now, his name might not automatically say to most folks, oh, yeah, that guy. But if you ran down the list of songs that he wrote, you'd go, oh, that guy? (laughs) So let's talk about some of the songs that uh, Lamont wrote, shall we? Well, gosh, between Martha and the Vandellas, the Supremes, (laughs) the Isley Brothers, you know, you name it from that era. And the strange thing about it, I didn't know his name and face until 1990 when he recorded an album with Debbie Gibson called Anything Is Possible. Really? Okay. And so on the VHS of the tour for the end of the Electric Youth Tour, they put it out on VHS. And at the end was a little documentary previewing album number three. Mm-hmm. And it was Debbie and Lamont writing the songs for Anything Is Possible. And that was my first time seeing this guy. And so I'm like, okay, well, if he's good enough for Debbie, he's good enough for me. And that's when I started diving into, oh my God, he wrote basically everything. Yeah. And so- Baby love, stop in the name of love. You can't hurry love. I, th- I think he was on a roll there. Oh my God, heat wave. <laughs> yeah, like just so many songs. And so it's just, you know, he's part of the writing team, did some stuff on his own. And so mm-hmm. once again, just, it's, you know, sad to see someone go 81. But, you know, that's still a good life lived. Could definitely Absolutely. A good Absolutely. more 20 years and stuff like that. But yeah, so I'm just glad that, you know, everyone's honoring him this week as well. I think the two of us like the artist Kim Wilde, and she covered one of his songs, You Keep Me Hanging On, Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. And then there's also Reach Out, I'll Be There. That was from the Four Tops. So plenty yeah. of hits that this guy penned, and it's very, Al- very impressive. Yeah, Allison Moyer, is that how you say it? From Yaz. Yeah. Yes. Know, so Invisible was a huge hit in 1984. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember Two Hearts by Phil Collins. I know, do, so. unfortunately. Unfortunately, uh, okay. I do. <laughs> that I, I wouldn't say is quite the high point, but it did really well for Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it went to like number one. It probably got nominated for a Grammy. Because yeah, yeah. I just got a two CD, 12-inch singles collection from Phil Collins. So I'll have to mm-hmm. see if there's a 12-inch singles mix of that. Yeah, too hard. It just sounded like the sort of the usual warmed over stuff that he was doing yeah. when he when he covered "Can't Hurry Love." It, it sounded a little bit in that vein. Got so it. obviously, since he, who he was working with, so he was trying to recreate that. But um, but yeah, know. so we we say goodbye to these uh, two music legends. As I said, off to the great gig in the sky. But there are plenty of musicians out there that are making new music. Some of them were very popular in the eighties. Yeah, and I'll start with my first one, and then we'll get to because you know, yeah. you've got a boatload of stuff. But I'm just going to say it really quick: as Bananarama it. has a new album, and you're like, "Really, Bananarama?" I had no idea until you told me this. I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> so how do you like it? 
<laughs> okay, at first I was just like, "Nah, it's a little vanilla. It's not I'm not that interested in it." Yeah. But as I've gotten into it more, I've listened to it like maybe four times at this point. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, "This isn't so bad. This is pretty good. It's very sort of disco-y dance, clubby type music." So if you're looking for Cruel Summer or I heard a rumor or Venus yeah. that era, you're not going to hear it. Their voices okay. are different now because they're like in their sixties or like 60, 61 at this point. Okay. And so their voices actually have a broader range now, which they didn't really have when they started out. Cause I learned about them when I went to England in 1982 to visit some family and I saw them on top of the pops and then three cute girls, you know, singing and having fun with fun boy three singing that song really, really saying something. And about a year later that their album came out and I saw it in the record store and I bought it. It's fine, you know, but the way they sing is a little laconic, but this album, they're much more assured at this point as, as, as singers. So it really broadens out. I like it. If you heard it and you didn't know it was Bananarama, you would never tell. You could never tell. You would, you would say, who is this? You'd have like the little white cloth over the CD and you say, who do you think it is, Keith? I don't know. Is it, uh, is it, uh, and then I do the big reveal. It's Bananarama. You're like, no. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to listen to that one. That's first on my list for weekend right. listening. So I'm excited right. about that. So the album's called Masquerade. Well, I think why don't we, you know, shift gears in the same zone a bit. Journey has a new record out. And so I think, you know, so here's the thing. I recently, or during the pandemic, one of my things that I wanted to do was I snapped up all of the Journey CDs in the Steve Perry era because Amazon was, you know, basically giving them away three to five bucks each brand new CD. I'm like, done, done, done. Check, 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 check. You know, we had them all come in. And so a lot of them are still sitting wrapped on my shelf, but I'm really getting in. I want to go beyond the greatest hits, volume Mm -hmm. two, and really explore where that band is. And even though I don't really pay attention to all the drama and the politics and the lawsuit kind of tied up the band for a while, and I can, you know, kind of give and take, you know, the current members and stuff, but I was really invested to see, okay, this new singer has basically been in the band longer than Steve Perry was. I would love to hear something that he could own. Is it Pineda? I think is his name. Yeah. Name. Arnell. Arnell. Yeah. yeah. Arnell Pineda. And yeah. so I put on the record and I think the second track in actually steals the hook from, was it Separate Ways? I think. Yeah. And does. so I'm like, oh, they're going to do a cover, but no, because they already did a full album of covers with him singing. You know, as I kind of like really put it on and really played it loud, this is really enjoyable. You know, yeah. there's actually some really good singles that could hold up on a volume three greatest hits. You know, like, oh, yeah, this has got a good hook. It's very memorable, very in the journey zone, will play really well in the concert. And so I'm like, go journey. They've been going, what, for 40, 50 or 50 years now. Is it 50? Wow. Yeah, I think they just did their 50th. Back, remember, they had their proggy, jazzy era before Steve Perry. I kind of liked. I did kind of like some of that proggy, jazzy stuff. I thought it was really quite, uh, well, proggy and jazzy. It was good. By track eight, I was done. I was like, this is a perfect album. I'm glad I bought the CD. And then like, oh, no, you're only halfway done. So (laughs) It's 16 tracks? Yeah, it goes on and on and on. And the last one's like nine minutes or something. So I'm going to take it as a double album. I'm going to like listen the crap out of tracks like one through nine. And then when I'm kind of done with that, I'm going to like, oh, now I have a whole nother journey album to go on. And so then I'll play the back end. Yeah. Trim the fat. And it's one of the best albums they've done, but I got plenty of time. It might be another 15 years before they put out another one. So I'm like, okay, I got time. 
Yeah, if they're still around. I found it to be a, a similar experience in that when I first put it on, I was just a little bit like, oh, okay, it's good. And then it started to grow on me. I like the, the I like the first, again, the first, I think the first nine songs really are, they're quite strong. And I'm thinking, this sounds good because Arnell isn't trying to sound like Steve Perry so much. He's trying to sound like himself. There's still that, I mean, he can't get away from the way his voice sounds, but he's not trying to do Steve Perry as a stand-in for the yeah. new songs. It's He's doing his own vocal takes on them and his own vocal stylings, I should say. So that's what I liked about it. So yeah, yeah and he's no longer trying to look like Steve Perry either. You know, he kind of right. now looks just totally on like his own and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Doesn't look like a clone. So yeah. I'm excited. Like, okay, man, they could ride this new wave and cruise for another couple, you know, decades and keep packing the hits at the regional fairgrounds and stuff like that and do really well. So <laughs> yeah. So journey one to check out. What else you got coming up? Okay, so now this is going to set the stage. I think we're going to weave this topic into the rest of the bands we talk about because I've noticed a theme looking back at all the bands that I've raved about since I started doing the New Music Report on the Mm Planet LP podcast. And I don't mean to separate the two camps, but I'm noticing that women are fronting all of the bands I'm most excited about in terms Hmm. of, oh, this is something new. This is something fresh. It mixes genres. It doesn't sound like things that came before. Right. You know, like, I'm, cause I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are the 2020s going to be in terms of like the, the tone of the, of the decade? Because I'm looking at a lot of the men, like going back to journey and we're going to talk about Interpol in a bit, all the men that I seem to be at least finding their way into my collections are going to comfort food, giving us hmm. the same kind of tried and true sound that we found mm-hmm. comfortable, not really experimenting a lot. I mean, look at the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I, mean, yeah. I love the new Midnight Oil record, but it's still a Midnight Oil record. It makes me think back on everything I've been recommending and raving about on the podcast here. So you look at like Let's Eat Grandma, Pillow Queens, Luna Lee, Biba Doobie, Haley Kiyoko, and especially my favorite still running album of the year so far is the Linda Lindas, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, like, wow, the women have really got it going on. And I know like Nico Case gets very adamant about saying it's not a woman artist and a man artist. It's just an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a really good point there. But I do got to hand it to the women are doing really cutting edge original stuff. And the only guy I could think of that is kind of along for that same ride is Tame Impala. I think you're right. The bands that are fronted by women tend to be more on the cutting edge not quite progressive in terms of progressive rock, but just pushing it forward. Whereas you said that the, a lot of the guys tend to retreat backward into their comfort zones. Yeah. So here's the thing on the planet LP socials. If people are like, okay, here's a dude, either solo artist or a band that's really cutting edge and moving the needle. Let us know in the comments. Like I would love to know. I would, I would love to discover some new bands, but the first one I want to talk about is super organism. They are from London. At their height, they were like eight members, and I think seven of them were all living together. Kind of going along the theme of like Luna Lee and Biba Doobie and stuff that we were talking about earlier on previous podcasts, they're multi-ethnic. You know, they got heritages from all over the world, New Zealand, England, Japan, South Korea. They put out a self-titled LP on Domino in 2018, and then this summer, Worldwide Pop, their second album came out. And so the lead singer... And I'll try to do her name justice, Arono Noguchi. She looks like she's 12 tops. 
So is the drummer is turning 12 this in August, you know, from the Linda Lindas, but you know, she's in her twenties, very petite. And it's really funny seeing her this front, this band with this big sound, but the band recently had to condense down to a five piece. And it looks like they were mired in me too controversy, kind of similar to what Ryan Adams went through. The original band was called the Eversons. And then they kind of grew and they changed, and they morphed into super organism. But then it looks like a lot of complaints came out about one of the guys in the band. And so three of the members have parted ways. But Worldwide Pop, the new album, the five of them are continuing on. And it's just such a breath of fresh air. Hmm. Like every single just comes in out of left field, constant surprises, big, huge earworm hooks. And it's just so fresh that I'm just like, so much fun. You can put the needle on anywhere in the record and just go off on these little fantasies and stuff. And it's almost like sci-fi pop. I might, it might be a great way of. Sci-fi pop. Okay. There's your headline right there. There Super organism. Yeah. So on and on is like one of the first singles from this album. And so check it out. But worldwide pop, great record. One of my favorites of the year. And then we transitioned into your next pick. What would that be? The Interrupters. Album number four, In the Wild, came out last week, or August 5th, depending on when you're listening to the podcast. And it's still, I'm so glad, on Rancid's Hellcat label. This band was kind of like nurtured early on by Tim Armstrong of Rancid, and kind of like takes the Rancid sound and kind of mainstreams it like for a big audience. Like one of the singles off their third album became a big hit. Kind of reminds me of like Rancid meets Joan Jett and yes. Sublime. Yes, and so, I hear a lot of Joan Jett in the. Yeah, she's got that that yeah. that raspiness to the voice, and so the thing is, it's a little ska, it's a little punk, it's a little mm-hmm. pop. It's just pure joy. When that album is on, it just lights up the entire room. All four of the albums, not a dud track anywhere yeah. on there. I put it on the first time I put it on when I saw it on your list. I thought, okay, I'll I'll stream it and listen to it. Didn't skip one track. Absolutely. Yeah. A no skip album. You just put it on, like you said, and every song is is pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Rancid kind of has their dark, really aggressive kind of albums and then their really pop ones. But 1995 to me was the greatest year ever in music. You know, you had Pulp, Different Class. You had Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. You had Radiohead's The Bends. But my favorite album of that year was And Out Came the Wolves by Rancid. Just like kind of taps into that same sweet energy on all the Interrupters albums. Is that the one with Time Bomb? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like I like that song. So, a lot. Yeah. And that thing is that, that album is a quintessential Bay Area album, you know. So <laughs> you know, so yeah, the Interrupters in the Wild, highly, highly recommended. That's probably the one that has the most heat going into challenging the Linda Lindas for my album of the year so far. I'm glad it made your list and I'm glad you Put it on there because I wouldn't have known about it until I saw it in print and said, oh, I got to check that one out. I'm going to give you a little bit of a break so you can grab some water and I'm going to talk about Billie Eilish. She has a new record coming out. The song, or at least the lead single, or at least one of the singles is called TV, a song I found a bit annoying at first, but then it started to grow on me. And I think it's about her lyrics, which to me swing between a failed or failing relationship to the failed or failing relationship with friends, and then the failing relationship political forces have with women while we're all amusing ourselves to death with what's on television, I think is is pretty 
poignant. It's um, it took me a bit, so I started paying attention to the lyrics. And the yeah. first, the first uh, verse goes, "I I don't want to talk right now. I just want to watch TV. I'll stay in the pool and drown, so I don't have to watch you leave. I put Whoa. Survivor on just to watch someone suffer. That one kind of made me laugh. That line. Well, maybe I should get some sleep. Sinking in the sofa while they all betray each other. What's the point?" of anything. And I think that there's something about these lyrics. I mean, I know she's in her what, her early 20s at this point. Yeah. And I think that that bleakness, whether it's relationships and later she kind of references Roe v. Wade that we're all sort of amused by the celebrity trial, you know, the Johnny Depp uh, celebrity trial. And she says, well, they're overturning Roe v. Wade. So this sort of builds on the fact that Things are fraying. And I think at this stage of life, when you're younger, and I'm sure people go through it at many stages of life, there's a kind of a darkness that that envelops a person and a feeling like it's all sort of just going to hell. Not necessarily nihilism where you've just given up on everything, but that whole part at the end where she asks the question, what's the point of anything? It can feel like that sometimes. It really can when you, you're going through maybe a very hard time in life. What I found interesting, also interesting about the song is the way in which songs nowadays seem to be mixed differently. So you were talking about cassettes and the death of a cassette. We grew up in the era of physical product like LPs, CDs, and, and cassettes. They had to be mixed in a certain way where it was very forward. The The instruments... It really made a bold statement, it seemed like, right out of the gate. That's still the case for a lot of music out there. But I noticed with Billie Eilish's music, it's almost like, especially with this song and and what I would imagine is going to be on the rest of the album, it's sort of mixed for your earbuds. It's a very kind of an intimate experience listening to her sing because of the way she sings very close to the mic and very vulnerable. I think if you're listening to it with headphones or earbuds, you're going to get the emotional impact of what she intends or what she intended from this song. So TV, Billie Eilish, check it out. I think you might like it. Okay. I have a big question for you here. And this is a whole can of worms. We could even dedicate much of a show to it. Do you think anyone's going to listen to this song in five years? Because here's my take on it. Because I love like the first Billie Eilish record, bad guy. You know, it's such a sinister hook. Yes, people are going to listen to that song in 10 years. You know, Mm -hmm. that's going to be showing up on 2020's best of compilations for the rest of time. But when I look at like late era Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Drake, all this kind of stuff, I almost wonder if they're putting out content that'll play Mm -hmm. really well on streaming as if it's a blog or even a podcast showing what's ever on her mind right now all these things you mentioned are things that are happening right now the trial roe v wade and when you put in these pop culture references does it really date it and then all of a sudden this has no meaning five ten years from now especially if it doesn't have a hook especially if it wasn't mixed to be played on the radio stuff like that so i'm always wondering are all these like kind of top tier a-list celebrities just putting out digital content. And then in 20 years, we're not going to be even remembering it at all because nobody has physical records to hold on to. You know, are we just going to move on to the next thing? And there's going to be no new classics because look at how much money is being invested in the legacy 
catalogs of your Springsteens, your Beatles, your mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Dylan, all that. And we're going to talk about the Elvis soundtrack coming up as the perfect example where instead of trying anything new, it's all these artists are going to be covering legacy songs because they have a built-in following, built-in brand recognition, built-in, you know, it works. Like, look at Taylor Swift's last couple of records. Like, has she really put out a big universal hit since Shake It Off? It's going to be interesting to see. I can't, I have really no opinion. I'm just wondering, you know, oh my God, I'm doing a Tucker Carlson. I'm just asking questions. You have to look at the screen with that kind of vacant, open mouth yeah. look. Like, I'm just asking questions. Just in 10 years. Like, that's why I wonder. <laughs> nice to pitch up your voice like Tucker does. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's another um, one for the, the readers yeah. or the listeners to weigh in on. Because I honestly don't think that we're going to even remember these songs at all. Like, the last Billy Irish album, I bought it. And I can't remember a single track off of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. But for some reason, this... This song had a little bit of stickiness to it. Like I still okay. listen to it. We talked about that band Envy of None, the Alex Lifeson's group. There's a song on there, and these and the singer Maya Wynn, she has that a similar style to what Billie Eilish is affecting on this album. Okay. And I, obviously she did that independent of Billie Eilish doing this record because they couldn't have known each, about each other's projects. They do a song on that album called Old Strings, which I really like. And I played TV and Old Strings back to back when I was on a walk and listening to it. And it kind of put me in a certain mood. I don't know. Reflective, melancholy, it put me in a way in a headspace that was experiential. So I felt like, yeah, these are two songs I can come back to. It'll put me in a, in a certain mood. So for me, I think this song has some staying power to it. I don't okay, know about the rest of the record, but for me, it, it does mean something to me. So yeah. here we go. Well, whenever that new album drops, it's going to be the biggest thing in the history of everything because that's of what course, every of record course. she does is. So. And, and you referenced the Springsteen catalog being bought up and every superstar legacy act that's going to cash out for 300 million dollars we should talk about that elvis soundtrack because it's it's it was interesting it was an interesting listen yeah well the 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 movie did really good oddly enough my 84 year old mom went and saw it and loved it you know i'm like oh my god you like a baz lerman movie and so the movie did really really well i haven't seen it yet but it's now hitting digital so i'm gonna (laughs) definitely check it out but oh my god the track list for the soundtrack was just like a who's who of what's happening now the first voice you hear is stevie nicks lots of great people kind of taking elvis tracks and reinventing them they weave actual elvis in Mm -hmm. and the whole thing plays like a really amazing dj mix it does because Jack yeah. White's on there, and we'll talk about his record next. Mm-hmm. And Jack White played Elvis. And I think, wasn't it in the Dewey Cox story? I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to look that <laughs> one up. I've never seen the Dewey Cox story. I don't even know You've never about seen? It. No. Oh my, that's the greatest rock and roll movie ever made. It's called Walk Hard, Walk the Hard. Dewey Cox oh, story with John I'm C. Riley. John C. Yeah, Riley is basically, it's the biopic to end all biopics. And oh, so, like, Judd you, Apatow is a co-producer on this. Oh, yeah. It is one of the greatest movies ever made. Ever made. It's so funny. It 2007. They basically nope. just take every biopic ever made and just put it through airplane and just uh-huh. lampoon it to the high heavens. But yet it completely works 
as a story where you're fully invested in the characters and the music is great. And I think Jack White's in that one. And I'll, you know, bite my tongue if I, it was a different, he was in How, you know, how did I else. miss this? How the hell did yeah, I miss this thing? It's streaming, wow. I think, on one of the big platforms. Yeah. Just watch that. Like, drop everything. Watch that. It'll change your life. <laughs> John Jenna C. Riley, Jenna Fisher, yeah. Tim Meadows, Kristen Wiig. Oh, man. Oh, everyone's in that. It is just... Like- the funny thing is, especially like comparing it to like the big over the top rock star biopics, it has every single biopic ever in the in a blender and it is yeah. just such you're a delight. Right. So you're right. But yeah, Jack Elvis White's is good it. too, you know. But yeah. yeah, so Jack White's on this record, Eminem. I highly recommend it. Just it's a really good DJ mix, whether you're an Elvis fan or not. It's a very modern record, and the Elvis soundtrack, yeah, just totally kicks. I concur. I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't think I would. I was like, oh man, no, not another one of these. And then I, was, I sort of had it on. I was like, these these actually are pretty good songs. I you know, reinterpretation of these Elvis songs. So yeah, great stuff. And then you said Jack White has a new record. Yeah, so his, like, both he and the Chili Peppers are doing two albums this year. Jack's first one, speaking very much in the line of um, the walk hard, his Fear of the Dawn, which came out in April, is just a complete, like, it'll literally blow all the earwax out of your ears. There's so much going on in the mix. The needles are all in the red, a kindred spirit to the icky thump era of the White Stripes. Mm -hmm. Fear of the Dawn was just like, I am having fun in the studio, twisting all the knobs, creating something that's never been heard before. It's just a completely bizarre experience. On the other hand, Entering Heaven Alive, which came out in July, is very much along the lines of a lot of his, like, you know, Cold Mountain solo work. You know, Mm -hmm. very beautiful, acoustic, harmonic, owing a lot to, you know, 70s rock and the blues and stuff like that. Very beautiful, atmospheric, lots of texture breath and soul in the record. And so that's another one that's going to be, it doesn't hit you right away. Like, oh my God, it's great. But it's definitely one of those growers and you just put it on and you take a little bit more every single time. And so it just really shows this far into his career, Jack White is just nothing but surprises. Seems like it. Yeah. He he sounded like a a different side of Jack White. That's what I was listening to when I, when I heard it, I was just like, interesting. It's a different, uh, he's much more mellow. Let's move yeah. to a, a band that, that you had referenced earlier, Interpol. I didn't even know they were still together. And they're there. They have a new song, a new album. And it makes you wonder if they should be. You know, so yeah. the new album is called The Other Side of Make Believe. First quick little Interpol story. I was obsessed with this band early on before the Matador record came out. I saw them in Camden during mm-hmm. my trip to London in 2002. They played a club. The Zootons opened up for him, which also oh, then yeah. the Zootons are the one that gave us Valerie, the Valerie. house yeah. made a hit. And yeah. so in a small little club, you know, saw Interpol, which just blew the roof off the place. I bought their from the merch right from the band, you know, bought their, you know, self-pressed record from them. And then, of course, Turn on the Bright Lights is one of the greatest records of all time. And so they kind of like were good for a couple of albums, but then when Carlos D who was kind of like their edgy kind of, uh, you played the bass and he just kind of looked so menacing on the side of the stage and he just kind of added some edge and some danger to the band, but he's been gone for more than a decade now. And I have, I mean, I'm one of those, I still buy all the records out of habit because I love those first early three records so much that then I'm just like, God, I'd never really listened to these, you know? So I'm really was trying to like, get a groove on with this new one. And there's definitely some 
moments on the new record. We're like midway through the record. I'm like, oh yeah, these are good. These hold up with the early stuff. But kind of makes you wonder if a band is running out of gas, especially like when they try to write and then they're trying to pull songs out of them versus that air of their life where the songs are just flowing out of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and they talk about the difficult recording process and COVID and all that. And so you can definitely feel the tension on this record. And so I'm not sure if this one's going to be a grower on me or not, but we'll see by the end of the year. Okay. If it makes the top 10 and stuff. And then you had some late entries that uh, came in right before we started recording this. We want to and quickly here, run down these. Yeah. So here are, once again, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, this mm-hmm. kind of reinvents all that. So earlier this year, I completely missed it. So it's the CD is arriving tomorrow, but I've been listening to a digital copy. The Night Crickets. The Night Crickets have an album out called A Free Society. And they're one of those, you hate to use the word super group, but it's David J. <laughs> of Love and Rockets and Bauhaus. And um, the drummer for the Violent Femme is Victor DiLorenzo Mm -hmm. and another guy named Darwin Meaners, who I'm not sure who that is, but oh my God, this, I put it on and I'm a big, huge, huge fan of Love and Rockets. In fact, I like all the related tangential solo projects from Hmm. Bauhaus way more than I like Bauhaus. Tones on Tail, Love and Rockets, all of the Daniel Ash solo stuff. David J had a hit back in the day called I'll Be Your Chauffeur. Beautiful, beautiful song. They all play kind of the background to Peter Murphy when he's doing the Bauhaus shtick. You know, you forget what a good voice he has and what an iconic voice David J has. And so his, he's front and center on the Night Crickets. And it's just like, you know, the, the publicist calls it psychedelic, post-punk, pop, alt-rock, and art rock. And it That's really is. Yeah. It's like every song has different texture, different vibe and energy. Very creative, lots of breathing room. It reminds me of some of the chills I got on some of the early Love and Rockets stuff. So I'm really excited to see kind of where the Night Crickets takes me when the CD arrives tomorrow. Night Crickets, a free society. It's been out for a couple of months now. Check it out. And then also out on August 12th, you know, depending on when you listen to this podcast, Erasure has another album out called Dayglow based on a true story. And this one I can't wait to hear. Because they already released the Neon, which was a big hit. And then they did the Neon Remixed, where they remixed all that. Now for this one, they went back to the same well to create a completely different album. So the way they've kind of positioned this is that all the 10 tracks on Dayglow are based on elements from the Neon songs, but completely reimagined into something new. So I'm really excited to see where they go with this. And once again, I just love a good 30 plus years into their career or 40 plus years into their career almost, you know, that Erasure is still putting out really compelling in the moment, modern stuff. So I cannot wait for Dayglow based on a true story to come out. So in a way, they're a bit like Bananarama because Bananarama sounds very different than they were in the 1980s. So it sounds like the like you said that they're they're doing compelling, very contemporary music. So yeah, so that's kind of like the old. And I would love to before we wrap up. I know we're kind of running along here, but you know there's some great new artists that I want mm-hmm. to kind of highlight. And so the first, her name is Hellcat Bloom. She has an EP coming out this month, and oh my god! So I just encourage everyone to stream the song Malibu by Hellcat Bloom, and Hellcat's all one word. Oh my God. It's really proof that there is life after Amy Winehouse. She kind of <laughs> reminds me of Sade, mm-hmm. you know, so you know, that gorgeous, soulful, bluesy genre defying pop. She, one of the singles is she actually has a cover of cheap tricks. I want you to want me completely 
reinvented. I would know so. Malibu is just one of the most gorgeous songs I've ever heard. She has just got the voice. She's got the look. And I think she is like, it's just one of those things where, you know, as publicists hit us a lot with artists saying, check this out, check this out. And it's just hard yeah. to take it on. Yeah. But like once in a while, you just hit that, you strike the gold and you're like, this is why we do this. This is amazing. And so I'm just beyond excited to see where Hellcat Bloom goes with her career. But the entire EP is just gorgeous. And so I encourage everyone to check it out. Heard that one today and enjoyed it quite a bit. I think I enjoyed the next pick more, though. Okay, and so Madam the- Mayor. Um, this one's really amazing. So I would call this one Trans Pop Punk Cabaret. Erica is the lead singer, like the kind of, I guess she did have a Mr. Mayor or some other kind of mayor themed act before. Came out as trans. Her mm-hmm. debut album is called F and it's produced by Mark Swirsky, who actually produced the Joe Cocker song on The Bodyguard. So imagine. <laughs> wow. Interesting. You know, Interesting. Like striking uh, gold. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, having a a great artist on one of the biggest records of all time. And so, but Mark Swirsky has produced a lot of my favorite new artists from the last 20 years, including like Gideon Luke and the people. Very, very soulful stuff. I really like the Madame Mayor thing. It's just one of those things where it has lots of attitude. The lead singer wrote a lot of these based on her experiences. She was an EMT doing Mm -hmm. calls in Brooklyn, blaring through the streets with the sirens on. So it kind of has that energy. Can we say blue words on the podcast? I think we can, you know. Yeah, you say what you want, yeah. There you go. Fuck Around is the official first video, first or first single from this. Kind of just reminds me a lot of that, like the Blink-182 kind of energy, you know, from the 90s when there was a little bit of a snot-nosed attitude. But with a wink, you know, her music is there to amplify sex positivity, queer liberation, gender affirmation, and just having a great time. The whole record is just awesome. So I encourage people to check out Madam Mayor, produced by Mark Swirsky. The album is called F. F around, fuck around, the first single. And then check out also White Privilege on that. That was pretty funny. M-A-D-A-M, leave the E off. Because here's another one that's a hard one to find on Google. It's a mm -hmm. band called Them. You're probably going to get the... Baby, please don't go. That one, yeah. if you're if you're looking it up, you know the also there's a death one. metal band. There's a European yeah. death metal band called Them, but Them stands for the four teenage girls that are in the band: Thompson, Hudson, Ellie, and Maya. And so here's how I first heard of them. We were at a street festival in Seattle, and my daughter's one of her friends from school came up to her, crying as if she'd just seen like you know like Justin Timberlake or Harry Styles or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just saw my favorite band in concert and they played all my favorite songs. And I, and she was just so excited. So she had the t-shirt on and I'm like, well, who is them? Pardon my grammar. And so then it turns <laughs> out that they are four girls that, you know, start, they're started here in my hometown of West Seattle, but they've already gotten a ton of regional and local press. And they just put out a great record called the car EP. They have a single called Bad For You that really kind of is doing well on YouTube and in the streamers. Really dreamy, laid back, melodic vibes. Kind of like mm-hmm. if you really like the last two Taylor Swift records and the last Billie Eilish record and probably the one you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're into those artists, you're going to really like them. I recommend checking them out. And to get through the Google, do them and then the car EP. And you should find them relatively easily. And if you get the Van Morrison song, or at least when he was in them, 
Just listen no. to that too, because it's not I a know. bad song. Yeah, it's it a good cover. Go wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's a good cover. So you've got some uh, Taylor Hawkins Foo Fighters updates. Yeah. That, so let's just uh, plow through this in the next couple of minutes. Yeah. So we're all still mourning the loss of Taylor Hawkins. For me, it's one of the biggest rock star deaths ever in terms of impacting my life. But fans it's of Taylor hard. Hawkins are going to be happy yeah. to know there's more music coming. Producers have confirmed that he is going to be on the upcoming Ozzy Osbourne record, Patient Number Nine. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard that first single, the self-titled track, oh my God, it's really fun. A lot of the Aussie fans like, what the hell do they do to his voice? But I think it's, you know, if you like the pop 80s version of Ozzy Osbourne, you're going to yeah. be very pleased. So Taylor plays drums on some of the tracks and the rest are played by Chad Smith of the Chili Peppers. But then King Princess just put out her second record or their second record. Taylor plays the drums on the big anthemic closer called Let Us Die. The singer, kind of like a one-person show for King mm-hmm. Princess, is Michaela Mulaney Strauss. She's on Mark Ronson's label. And so when she said, oh, I want this track to have a big Alanis Morissette vibe, Mark, of course, <laughs> just says, okay, great. We'll call Taylor Swift. Or, I'm sorry, Taylor Swift. Taylor Hawkins and put him on the track. And so he did the session over the internet. So I love her quote about this. She's like, I just want to play the shit out of this track and have people fall in love with his drumming because he's a rock god. And so I bought the record and I actually really like the entire King Princess record. You know, I didn't actually pick up their first record, but I'm going to now because Hold On Baby is just a great album, Soup to Nuts. And the fact that you get Taylor Hawkins at the very end, it's amazing. So, but check out Let Us Die on YouTube or your streamers and then use that as your gateway into Hold On Baby, the record. All right. Talk about the worst timing ever with Taylor's passing on March 25th, but that was also the day that the Foo Fighters put out an album. And a lot of people don't realize that, but during the promotion for the film Studio 666, Mm -hmm. Dave Grohl kept saying, oh, we recorded an entire record under the kind of the guise of the the cursed fictional death metal band in the movie called Dream Widow. Dave said the album was coming and they put it out that morning. Oh my and God. then Taylor died that evening. And so nobody knew about it. And so it turns out it's been out on digital ever since I listened to it. I finally you know, downloaded from title the lossless copy. So I can have a really high fidelity version. It's interesting. It is a big, huge death metal record, you know, and I looked at a lot of the reviews and a lot of the reviewers at the, on the metal site say, okay, if you're going to try to trash this because it's Dave Grohl, middle of the road Foo Fighters, it's a really good death metal project. And so, you know, because Dave Grohl loves death metal, he put out a full greatest hits of all the greatest death metal singers on the ProBot record. And then I found out also while researching this, that he has another death metal album out called Harling Tox Angel Divine that he recorded pre-Nirvana, but they released post-Foo Fighters. And it is just one of the weirdest albums that you'll ever hear in your life. It's Dave Grohl, Barrett Jones, who produced his first two records, and then two other guys that are just from the death metal scene. You could probably stream it, but Harling Talks, Angel Divine, one of the weirdest, strangest, like imagine Primus doing death metal, and that's what you're going to get. What kind of mood do you need to be in to listen to this? Oh my God. You're in the mood. You never want to sleep again. You want to be kind of like agitated and kind of like if you're over caffeinated, like this is what it kind of does. It's very strange. Like the Harlem talks is very strange, but the, the dream widow record, which is Dave Grohl, Rami Jaffe from Foo Fighters, and then a bunch of other studio ringers. None of the other Foo Fighters were involved in the dream widow record, but that's a full album. 
And it's really kind of fun to listen to. So if you really like death metal and you want to hear Dave just shred his vocals, look at the Dream Widow self-titled record that's out on streaming now. And also Harling Talks Angel Divine from 32 years ago. That, uh, that piques my interest. I, I'll have to be in a certain mood and probably by myself to listen to it and with headphones. So now let's get to album previews that are setting up for uh, next month's podcast. Hey, there's a lot of stuff. Episode. We'll talk. I'm just going to basically skip right through them. Tune in next month because these are the records we're going to talk about. Demi Lovato. She has Holy Fuck that comes out on August, 13th, or August 19th. Madonna has finally enough love 50 number ones that's also out on august 19th so to get 50 tracks on so many cds you know they're all gonna be not a lot of 12 inch singles because oddly enough the beautiful stranger the victor calderon remix is my favorite dance mix of all time Hmm. if you've never heard the 10 minute version of beautiful stranger the victor calderon remix oh my god it'll change your life there are so many different suites of this song that it just goes through. You just think it does get better and better and better. It's sensory okay. overload. So I'm eager to see what they've done because I know there's some Calderon mixes on Finally Enough Love. So okay. we'll see how it is. And then that actually bridges really nicely to Gogol Bordello has a new record out called Solidartin. Solidartin. And so that's <laughs> out September 16th because he's from Ukraine. And their whole Gogol Bordello aesthetic was about taking Ukrainian culture kind of like espionage into russia and so a lot of it has that eastern block flavor to it mm-hmm. you know gypsy punks unite from 2005 was one of my greatest all-time punk records over the top anthemic gypsy punk songs is really the only way to describe it it's got so much going on in the mix so and finally the dead kennedys they what? are putting out fresh fruit for rotting vegetables now this is interesting so it's a classic record It has Kill the Poor, Holiday in Cambodia, all that kind of stuff. So you think, okay, it's been around forever. They went back to the master tapes and they gave them to Chris Lord Alge. Is that Alge or Alge? Chris Lord Alge, you know, who's done Green Day. Yeah, Yeah, ALGE. He's a really famous producer. And they said, see what you can do with the master tapes to bring it into the modern age. Okay. The band had its doubts. So they said, do one track and come back to us. And they were so blown away by the sonic results that they're putting out an entirely new remastered. So they, I guess it's going to sound almost completely different than the original. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a lot like a remix, back. right? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a complete remix remaster. So Billy Joe Armstrong and Dave Grohl, because we cannot get enough of Dave Grohl, yeah, uh, exactly part of the right. liner notes talking about, you know, the impact of dead Kennedys on their careers and their, their lives and stuff like that. So this comes out September 30th. I have it on CD on pre-order. So fresh fruit for rotting vegetables just might bring the dead Kennedys back for a whole new generation. Next month also, we'll have new albums by Buzzcocks and Altered Images. Bands from way back in the day, yeah, still putting I out new music. Next month might be the greatest show ever. Demi, I, Madonna, Golgo Bordello, Dead Kennedys. A lot of names that are that have high recognition. And I think that we were going to kind of talk a little bit about how relevant Madonna is in you know 2022 so that will you know stay tuned for that i think that's going to be part of the deep discussion because obviously somebody that's been part of music culture for decades eh, you know her latest output probably isn't her strong stuff and that's that tends to be the case with a lot of artists out there 
All right, Keith, thanks so much for being on the podcast and for bringing your stellar knowledge of music, both old and new, to Planet LP listeners each month. And we will see you in September, will we not? Oh my God, I will be there with bells on and I'm going to be looking at the comments on your socials because if anybody knows any bands fronted by men that are competing head to head with all the women we've talked about on this episode, I want to know about them. I do too. And that's it for this episode. Thanks as always for listening. I truly appreciate each and every one of you who take the time to listen to the Planet LP podcast. Cheers. Cheers.